People move to New York because they want to make a name for themselves. And when you're sitting 25 floors up looking at the whole city, you're like, I can I get it. fucking do anything. Yeah. People are always like, first impressions really matter. But I just think last impressions are so much more impactful. Mickey Rourke came here to do a collab post because he had one of his cars serviced here. Your dad would lose his shit. Right. I'm Mike Izzo, and welcome back to the JMB Body Works podcast, a conversation show where we talk to guests about cars, life, and everything in between. Welcome back to the JMB Body Works podcast. Today we have a very special guest that I'm super excited about. This is Nick Dio. He works with VaynerX and VaynerMedia, and he's going to tell us a little bit about his story, how he started, how he started working for Gary. Thanks for coming, man. Bro, walking into the actual body shop and like seeing everybody running around and fucking all these cars, and I was like, this is my shit. <laughs> I work I work at an office where you have to get in an elevator and go up to the 25th floor. We have sweeping views of all of New York City. Sick, every, insane. Every, it's it's wild, but like everybody's pretty fucking buttoned up. Taking a leak inside of a body shop bathroom. It's a it's a lot. Felt it's so a rare at treat. home. I'm serious, like so at home that I was like this is my shit. So thank Love you it. for having me and you use our bathroom. Anytime you want. <laughs> just to like Consider get out your of your bathroom. Just to get out of like the the corporate kind of world. And and we're like out of all of the businesses that are on the twenty-fifth floor of a high-rise New York, like we're the least corporate of all of them. But still, I mean, the it was a real treat. So thank you guys yeah, for we, having me. We uh, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Does everyone that. lose their mind when they see the view? Yes. I mean, what you just like you kind of cause it's panoramic. Uh -huh. So it's everything from like the Hudson to wow. Madison Square Garden to World Trade Center. Wow. So it's What part of the city is it? So it's it's Hudson Yards. Okay. Yeah. So it's 30th and 10th and it's just I mean like you watch storm systems come in from Jersey mm -hmm. across the water. Right. You can see the Statue of Liberty on a clear day. You can look up at the highest observation deck in the northern hemisphere, which is that, you know, that observation mm -hmm. deck at that the edge. So it's I mean People move to New York because they want to make a name for themselves. And when you're sitting 25 floors up looking at the whole city, you're like, I can I get it. fucking do anything. Yeah, that's what's up. So it's tell cool. us a little bit about how you got there. How'd you start? What do you what do? you do? Yeah. So I, I, I've been working for Gary Vaynerchuk for a little over 10 years. I manage his personal and professional relationships. And over that 10-year journey of working for him, I've had probably a dozen different jobs inside the same organization. And at the end of the day, it all boils down to two things, loyalty and trust. Yeah. Every employee that Humanity works the world. for you, that's it. And Gary trusts me implicitly to accurately represent him out in the world. And he's one human being. So I get to be this pulse check on everything in culture that he wants to have a pulse check on. So even being here, you, what you guys are doing is massively disruptive. There's not many people that own body shops that are creating regular YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, real content. Thank you. But it's clearly having an impact Tell on our dad, business. Please. Yeah, listen, <laughs> I get Pops doesn't get it, but I, you know, the, the best thing I can do would be to sit him and Sasha Vaynerchuk down, Gary's father, okay. like set up a dinner for the two of them. Don't tell awesome. them the other one's coming and then have them bitch and complain about their sons and then oh. ultimately... Be like, he our sons that. are the fucking best. <laughs> yeah, be that's, his, that's his whole day. <laughs> it's, 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 and, and probably cry before the end of the dinner right. talking about be how nice. proud he I'll is. At the end of the, so, you know, what about your father? Can you come? My, my dad's the best. He, he actually, you know how your, your dad knows what you guys do, but don't really know. Mm -hmm. no, my dad knows exactly what I do. Oh, that's okay. awesome. So my dad's been a sales guy his entire life. And when I told him, that the evolution of my career was going to take me in a direction where I had to do nothing transactional, meaning there was no deal to get done. There was no revenue goal to hit. There was, there was nothing attached in a, in a transaction-oriented nature. My goal was simply to be out in the world as an extension of this person, building and cultivating relationships and putting as much good karma as I could into them. He was like, I understand that completely because I wish that I could operate that way it's awesome. But there's always a revenue goal attached to what I'm doing in a sales yeah. capacity. I guess there kind of is with what you do, but it's just not measurable immediately. Yeah. And I think like that is measurable. If you start from the place of measurement of how am I going to measure this, you're going to fail. Mm. Right. 
And I think with, you know, even what you, with what you guys are doing right now, everybody wants to know like, all right, how do, how does 50,000 followers on a social media platform translate into us getting five more cars a week? Right. And you're like, I don't know, dude, but it will. And you, it's probably a similar spot like where you're in, where no one knows exactly what strides you've made what movement you've made but you and you know it on such a small scale like you could feel every little step right. and like it's not always the easiest to explain to someone or to translate that or to prove that but like you know where you're at the momentum that you've built and you feel it people want you to be a completed sentence people want you to i own an auto wow, that's shop. deep that is deep. That's deep i'm a lawyer a doctor i'm an actor I'm a garbage man. A content creator. Period. Yeah. I'm a father. I'm a mother. Period. And when you start to add hyphens to the end of those sentences, it fucks people up. Mm. Yeah. So when you say, like, for, for you too, when you start to think about how you explain who you are in the world, you just like go to the most deliberate, immediate. It's the easiest way to explain. You know what this period. is. Period. I'm a body shop guy. Yeah. That's it. You fix cars. I'm, I'm, I'm fix cars. For, yeah, that's yeah. it. But when you really think about it, and all of your interests and all of your passions and all of your hobbies that you're currently, you know, itching and scratching simultaneously as you, you know, venture out into creating content and doing different things, like all of those elements of your personality actually open up the amount of people that enjoy watching you, spending time with you, hearing from you exponentially. Because I'm not just a car guy. X, yeah. I am also a fan of this professional sports team. I also enjoy eating this type of food. I also, and for me, my entire world is recognizing how vastly different we all are, but how eerily similar we all are. Mm. Meaning I've never spent more than an hour in a body shop in my entire life, but there are, and that is your entire day every day. Right. right? But there are so many things that actually make us like this. Yeah. Yeah even though we have vastly different lives. So how do, you, how do you do that? How do you find yourself doing that? How do you make that connection with people? The best, you just common ground. It's insane. You know, it's the, it's the easiest thing. You look at somebody and you say, out of all the things, like you can look at what they're wearing, the, the signals that they're putting off in different ways, the music that they listen to. You know, for, for me, like the, the way that I do it is I try, to, I try to establish a mutual connection with the person that it goes beyond just physically what they're what they're about. So like the story about your dad, right? And I think about Sasha Vaynerchuk. And I say to myself, okay, these are two guys that have grown up in a family business their entire life that have a the probably the deepest relationship you could have with a parent mm-hmm. because of the amount of sheer time that they've spent with them. Yeah. Yeah. But it's so textured and colorful, but like in terms of like really knowing and feeling like universally connected to somebody, these guys probably have the closest relationship you could have with a with a parent because most people turn 18, go to college, go out into the world on their own, right. and then they live hundreds or thousands of miles from their, yep. their parents. So I just I think about all of the things that make somebody unique. And then I try to establish some some commonality between those two things. And like it could be something all of us need to be better at is being curious about the other person. Right. So it's like, it's more than just like, what do you do? Where are you from? You ever get into a, like in a, in any type of networking situation where you're meeting new people, it's you're always, or something. what do you do? Where are you from? Yeah. What do you, it's like a song. What do you do? Where are you from? What do you do? Where are you yeah. from? And, and I try not to go in that direction. Yeah. One of the questions I've been asking when I yeah. get into a situation like that as of recently, and it's, it's helped a lot is as soon as you ask that first question, you got to get to the why, mm. like, what do you do? Okay. You're a, you're a, a coach. Why do you do it? Yeah. And it it can be weird to make that transition because it seems a little bit less casual. Yeah. But that's always where the meat and potatoes is. When when you think about the amount of people you interact with in a single day, you know, people are always like, first impressions really matter. You know, and I and I agree. First impressions matter. You meet somebody, are they present? You know, do they shake your hand appropriately? Do they, you know, they look you in the eye? But I just think last impressions are so much more impactful. Mm. Meaning you you meet somebody, let's say out at a dinner, and then you go the entire night. You have you have amazing conversation. You feel like you've you've actually gotten somewhere with somebody, and then before the end of the conversation, how do you cement that relationship? How do you actually tell them that you enjoyed spending time with them? That you would do this again? How do you follow up after that? And I think for a lot of us, especially you guys, you're meeting so many people so often. And what you're doing really well is you're taking care of people. Mm. 
people come in, their shit is fucked up. <laughs> their whole life might be upside down. They're having a bad, right. bad day. Mm-hmm. And you guys make people feel taken care of, secure, hopefully, most of the time. Right, you're giving them a solution. Like people are leaving us, you know, half million dollar cars. They they want to feel comfortable, and they want to know that at the end we're going to give them what they want. And then when they come back and things have made a 180, and their life is back together, they're not as emotionally charged. And you guys are giving them the keys back to their vehicle that has been restored to what they know it as. It's a it's an incredible lasting impression where they're like, how can I? create that again and again and again and again. You guys get to do that. And you're just inherently doing it because it's part of your business and yeah, how it's set up. Industry. But I just think a lot of people even listening to this in different ways could, ap- could apply that same thinking to anything that they do professionally or personally. Hmm. Can we get a little more into how you got here and the evolution of what you've been doing to get here? Yeah, for sure. I think who you spend your time with is critically important to the person that you ultimately become. Mm. So I was a kid that grew up at the Jersey Shore, and I had where Point Pleasant, Point Pleasant Beach. I had I I went to I, I was like a I was a Jersey Shore kid, right? Like I, I grew up lifeguarding, and it was amazing. I was the first kid in my family to go to college, and where was my, that? Ryder University. Okay. So my best friends from high school were like, "Yo, we're we're gonna go to college," and I was like, "That's awesome." Never thought about it before right now. Where are you guys going? They're like, we're going to go to Ryder University. I was like, great, me too. (laughs) Me there. I'll see you there. (laughs) My SAT scores were good. My regular grades sucked ass. I got into college. And my surrounding went from my, my best high school friends to now my best high school friends being my best college friends. And something happened in the first 48 hours of me being at college. I rolled up thinking that college was this massive party. And I literally brought like, I think it was like an ounce of pre-roll joints. Nice. Because I was like, I'm going to make friends with everyone. That's a great way to do it. (laughs) You get a joint, you get a joint, you get a joint. First night, went out to a party, got back to campus, walked around campus with a bag full of joints, handing them out to people. Literally? I swear to God. (laughs) How much did that cost? (laughs) There's video evidence of this. And walking around, giving and, and, and taking a couple tokes, going to the next group, just, and not even in the... I am now the local drug dealer in the way of, I just want to be- I'm everyone's guy. friend. Correct. Let's connect. And it's funny, you know, just how this kind of plays out. Like an hour into this like escapade, campus police walk over and bust me. The next day I'm in the dean's office. What year was this? 2010. Okay. Yeah. The next day I'm in the dean's office and they're like, hey, we have a zero tolerance policy. We are kicking you off campus. Ugh. You can never enter- a dormitory on campus ever again. Wow. But uh, you can continue going to school here. So they gave me the money to go and find off-campus housing. Basically, well, what, I was, the money. what I was going to pay for on-campus housing, they gave, back they gave it back to me. Right, 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 right. And so it was his money. <laughs> I, ha- I went on Facebook, and this is, this is a pretty pivotal reflection of why I am the way I am today. I went on Facebook, and I reached out, and I was like, yo, I need a place to live. And I got connected. I was I was 18 at the time. I got connected with a guy, a bunch of guys that were 21, 22, and 23 that went to the college a couple miles down the road that had or were graduating, either getting their masters or working professionally in the area, but had real jobs. Okay. So I went from an 18 year old fucking around with my 18 year old friends to an 18 year old fucking around with guys that were pretty much adults. Yeah, starting their life in a real way, and. I would watch them get up at 6.30 in the morning, drive their Mercedes to the train station, get on the train, go to Jersey City, hmm. work at Goldman Sachs. Right. I would watch them get into their scrubs to go to the hospital because they were in their residency. And I was like, huh, this is what it's supposed to be. Hmm. Like, this is- this is Real what, world. Correct. And it just, just like that, by the people that I was hanging around completely changed the way that I thought about my own- my own trajectory and what I wanted to be in the world just by simply hanging around the right people. And my guys from high school still my voice. Godfather their kids, like I love them, sick, love yeah. them forever, you know? But like it was really important that I changed my surroundings and I was able to do that. And in that process, Gary, I read one of his books. I saw a video of him online talking about you could turn your passions into your profession. And he was talking about if you've got a real energy for the Smurfs that you could start a blog and advertise against it and you could Smurf it up 
I think Smurf it up was the was the famous line. <laughs> Smurf it up. On that. stage, him screaming at people, you could Smurf it up. And I was like, this dude is out of his fucking mind. <laughs> this is my guy. But there's something here. And I tweeted at him, said, hey, I want to come work for you for free. And he essentially was like, I will take you if you never go back to college. Wow. And as the first kid in my family, I was like, I, you know, for mom, for dad, I got to I gotta finish college. Uh, so I finished college, resurfaced this tweet. And through a couple of ways, different ways, I finally got the job as like an unpaid intern. And then over a decade, climbed the ranks. And what I realized in that process that's more important than anything is if you're curious enough to seek out experiences that go beyond the realms of what you're comfortable with, you'll end up in a place that's better than you could have ever imagined. 100%. So like, I didn't know how to produce and direct television commercials, but like, I was the kid that knew how to use Snapchat and they were like, this Jake Paul kid wants to shoot a Snapchat commercial today for Sour Patch Kids. Do you want to direct it? I'm like, fuck yeah, I do. Wow. I've got the craziest photos of, you know, a young Jake Paul and I, like, you know, 2015, 2016. Just, wow. yeah. And it's, and it's, it's Was always he still been on the, Disney Channel. Yeah. I, he must have been. been. I think the falling out might have just been happening, but like, it's been that repetition of, putting myself in situations where other people would have been like, nah, I don't fuck with that. It's it's unknown. It's foreign. I'm uncomfortable. Get me out of here. I and mean, I've just said, I'll just, I'm going to, I'm going to go instead of dipping the toe cannonball all in and see where I end up. What was it like? What was the feeling like when you got that re that tweet back from Gary? Like, do you remember that feeling of, of getting that back? Yeah. It's what's really cool about it is you go through a series of emotions. You go, holy shit, I can't believe this person acknowledged my presence on this earth to that's a regular fucking person. Mm. And I think for you guys, as you're, you know, I mean, you guys are blowing up. There's got to be this wave of like crazy of, I can't believe so-and-so is in our DMs or right. I can't believe we're ser servicing so-and-so's vehicle to like, now that's like now my homie and we're friends. So that was actually a question that I wanted to ask you because since things have been and an upward trajectory, I've been like a little anxious yeah. because I think it's what the influencers call like imposter syndrome a little mm -hmm. bit. Like, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. And so as things are starting to pick up, you know, we have a video that's got 1.8 million views. Yeah, That means 1.8 million people have had to see my ugly mug and it's like, shit. So how do you, did you ever feel like that? And, and if you have, how do you deal with that anxiety? I've got a really good remedy for this. Nobody knows what the fuck they're doing. And the cool thing about what you guys do is you have one area of your life where you know exactly what the fuck you're doing. Like it, it would be very hard for anybody to come in here and challenge you guys on the thing that you know the most about. Right. Very hard. What's really cool about that is that you guys actually have interests and passions that you're pursuing outside of the thing that you know remarkably well. Now, where people get fucked up is they focus all of their energy on one thing and then they wake up one day and they realize that I am completely inept and incompetent in a lot of other areas of life. Right. And I am not an interesting human being that people actually want to be around. Hmm. I am a specialist that cares deeply about one thing and people respect me for that, but I have no understanding of the way all of these other things in the world work. And I think what you two are doing right now is you're saying we are remarkably good at one thing. But we have all of these other interests, hobbies, areas of cultural overlap that we enjoy spending our time doing, and we're going to show those things, even if we're not categorically experts in that given thing. Right. So I think I think your you know whatever insecurity there is actually your biggest strength and your biggest asset, and you got to lean you got to lean way 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 into that. But like everybody thought Tiger Woods was like the guy, right? Right. He's been on camera since he was like three years old as like the guy. And then we all watched his world fall apart because the only thing he need, knew how to do remarkably well was swing a golf club. And we we're like, oh shit. So I, I just think you guys should lean in as much as possible to culture, whatever things kind of interest you, continue scratching those itches, continue going outside because more and more people are going to connect with you guys in different ways because of all of the things you like, whether it's art or cars or music, whatever it is that make you guys uniquely you, just lean into that. I think what you said a minute ago was like one of the most powerful things I've thought of it before. Like if you just say, all right, I'm doing this. It's something I've never done before, but I'm going to go 
all in. I'm giving it everything I have. That's when you realize like you can do things well beyond what you thought you could. You just like push the boundaries and like you're in a world that's completely unique and you're like, I cannot believe I just did this and I did it well. And I think that's like you said with the commercial, like that's, I've been in that situation before and you're like, wow, if you really give it your all, like you can get a lot of shit done. It's, I, when did you guys like stop being afraid of shit? Meaning even to stuff every day. You know? Yeah. But like to do what point. I think that's it, right? Yeah. It's like not be, not allowing fear to cripple different parts of your own ambition. Jump in. You got to get it done. Yeah. And and for me, people have a lot of opinions about like how you should do this or how you should build why or, you know, the next sequential step in doing this part of your life. You know, like I'm sure there's you, you just got married mm-hmm. recently. Like people even have opinions about how you should get married and what what the invitations should look like and mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I, yeah, there was a lot of those. <laughs> That's for sure. Mom, we love you. But like, you know, there's a lot of opinions about the way you should do specific things. And I think for a lot of people that are listening or watching, those voices get so loud that they drowned out their own voice. Mm. And like at the end of the day, the voice that you need to listen to and amplify the most is your own. Yeah. What? Yeah. You know, the, uh, the whole car industry, the whole electric thing, everyone that's been in the car industry for yeah. Hundred years, whatever, cannot compete with like the newest innovators because they're doing everything ground up. They don't have the resources, they don't have the money, they don't have all the R and D. But they're you know reinventing the wheel, and through that process, no one can touch. You know, Lucid, Tesla, like their technologies are just so beyond these companies that are just the world's biggest conglomerates. And that's because they're not listening to everyone saying, "No, you cannot do that. You have to do this." And I think that's also listening to yourself and look around there's some other stuff out there you know there's like uh so one of the coolest parts of working for gary vanderchuk is that i I get to meet everybody meaning like there's there's pretty much like with with a few exceptions there's nobody that we can't get to in some way shape or form just circles interests overlap at some point and you find yourself in a room with ashton kutcher and he was when he was doing the biopic on steve jobs he said one of the favorite things that he learned about steve is one of the things he said was Everything that was, I'm going to paraphrase, but everything that was created around you was created with somebody that didn't have the same resources or as much intelligence as you have the ability to have today. And, you know, I think about that all the time. It was like every single thing that was constructed around us today was created by somebody that didn't have the amount of resources that we have. Today. Right. So like, even though like you built that company 60 or hundred years ago and it, it was badass, like I've actually got more access to things than they right. have percent, And it's, I mean, when you think about the evolution of technologies in a lot of ways, I think that's a really liberating thing. Yeah. And a lot of people, unfortunately, that go out of business, they, they often, they rest on their laurels, they get stuck. Right. And I think those are some of the louder voices too, where they don't want things to change, but the only thing consistent in life is change. change. Yeah, yeah. That's one thing that I, I give dad so much credit for is he's, I feel like he's never been the guy to be like, I'm not doing it that way. Mm. He is trying to constantly innovate. If a new technology comes out, he wants somebody to come in and give us a demo. He wants to try it. And I kind of think that in some way, shape, or form, that's a little bit of what's going on in his head with this social media stuff. I think he, to an extent, I mean, he himself is, my mom's like, let's watch a movie. He's like, I'm good. He's scrolling through. He secretly loves Instagram. Yeah. I I think he sees the power of it to a certain extent. He gets stuck in a deep scroll hole every night. Oh, yeah. It's, you know, it's it's funny because it's just, they had the same 12 television networks that were feeding them stuff. Right. And that's, that was just, it was just a different version of it, you know? And yeah, I think what's, when you can contextualize what you do, for your in a way that your parents can explain it, right? Like that there's a little bit of an aha moment that happens at that point. Meaning pops in a sports. No, just work. What's work, 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 work. Literally. The Rihanna song. Okay, and the grandkids. Now hey, he's obsessed with the grandkids. He, his favorite movie. Has he got a favorite movie? The Pope of Greenwich Village. The Pope of Greenwich Village. Great. Who's Classic. the lead actor in that? It's Mickey Rourke. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. If Mickey Rourke came here to do a collab post. Because he had one of his cars serviced here, your dad would lose his shit. Right. Lose his shit. And I think like there's when you think about it through that lens of we're creating, we have we have a business, we have a service-based business, but we've also adopted a media company mentality. And because we've done that, it's now attracted the people 
in our lives that that we've looked up to or appreciated for the way that they roll or the expertise that they have. It's pretty fucking cool. And I think for a lot of my friends that have built family businesses, that's kind of like the, that's when things change is when the parents can contextualize what they do in a way that really makes sense to them. Right. Yeah. And that's, it seems like that's a lot of what Gary's story is about. It seems like he had a similar situation to us and he went into his dad's wine company and tried to do something different and, and spice it up. And so for people right. that don't know, his dad owned a liquor store called Shoppers Discount Liquors in North Jersey. He, out of college, came into the business after working insane amount of hours as a kid growing up in, in the business and understood it well enough that when the advent of the internet happened, he quickly understood the utility of being able to sell things on the internet. Mm -hmm. So in its simplest form, when you type into Google wine or buy wine, he was bidding on those keywords within Google before anybody else was wow. for like five cents a click. And he grew that business from a business doing $3 million a year to a business doing $60 million a year. Jesus. How quickly did he do that? I think it was over a span of like four years. Wow. But like insane to be a localized liquor store called Shoppers Discount Liquors to a place rebranded called the Wine Library where you're Is now- Is that still his? It's his father's. Okay. 100%. Wow. And like the, you know, he built that business on behalf of his family and his father, but didn't walk away with the money. Right. And that's like the that's badass. I mean, it's the think about what's badass is probably he would say is the lessons he learned in that process. And, you know, like the chip on his shoulder that he had, and or maybe like the feeling of accomplishment of being able to give that to his family. But I just, you know, I think the the big one for me there like the big takeaway is when it when it comes to building trust and loyalty with people there's few forums like business or sports where you can take as big of swings like that mm. where you really need the trust and loyalty of people right and when he was like yo pops like i think we should buy a half page ad in the new york times for like 25 grand or like the back page of wine spectator magazine for 40 g's like those were big, fuck, scary, those yeah. big swings, especially of huge then, numbers. You know, big huge swings. numbers. Yeah. And one of the things I, I like love about family businesses is you go through that, and if you build real trust and real loyalty, you know, you're able to take those swings with people. Right. Yeah. I'm sure there's a lot of answers to this question. Yeah. But if you had to boil it down to maybe one, two, or three things, what's the most important thing you've learned from working with Gary V? <clears throat> After a decade of working with Gary. The ability to make people feel safe, heard, and taken care of trumps everything else. Meaning, people do uncharacteristic things when they feel like they are painted into a corner or their security or safety is compromised. When you make people feel safe, heard, and respected, they're pretty fucking consistent. He has 2,000 employees globally, 14 offices globally. And when you think about the length of time people stay at our business versus other agencies in the mix, it's like 10x. How often do you talk to him? Every day. What, what did you, so you talk a lot about loyalty and trust. What do you do or why do you think he has this loyalty and trust in you? I think track record's important. And I think in business a lot, we measure people on quarterly or annual, yes. Like, what have you done for me recently? And I think what's great about Gary and the way that he views relationships and what's kind of bled into me is it's not, what have you done for me lately, but over a year, three year, five year period, how consistent how you have you been? How reliable have you been? And then over that time, recognize the body of somebody's work as opposed to what have you done for me in the last three months? And I think that loyalty over time can reinforce trust. That consistency over time can reinforce trust. And then finally, the most important thing to him, you know, and this is something that he reinforces me in all the time, isn't some type of economic outcome. It's the way people perceive us publicly, the way people, the way that we're represented publicly. The brand is the only thing that matters. If somebody comes in here and 
brings you something and you say you can fix it and you end up not being able to fix it and you do an ass job and you cover it up with some duct tape, what happens? You look a schmuck. You don't have any loyalty. You don't have any trust. Nothing. You have nothing to stand on. And if you give them back that same product and you say, I couldn't fix it. It, it, it didn't work. You've got to go somewhere else. At, they might be disappointed, but at least they know that you're an honest person. Stand up guy. What, what, is, what does he do that lets him keep your loyalty and trust in him? Because Removes all fear. There's no fear. He lets you move. Lets me move, but if I fuck up or I do something wrong, I'm not afraid to say I fucked up and I did something wrong. You won't get shot. Yeah. And a lot of people, they operate from a place of fear of, oh shit. I missed a meeting. Oh shit. I didn't follow up about something. Oh shit. They decided not to bring us their so business. It back to Oh wait, how can I cover you don't it feel up? Painting in a corner, you feel safe. Yeah. And then I can go to him and say, I'll, I'll give a this is a fun story. So earlier in my career, we have a lot of people that come into the office. Sometimes we do background checks. If we have no idea who the person is, there was a time where there was 10 people coming in the office. I did background checks on everybody except for two. Two slipped. And then I did a little bit of digging and like the only videos on the internet of this person were like them wielding a knife and like <laughs> doing knife tricks on the internet. And no real backstory on this person, a bit of a ghost. And I call Gary at six o'clock in the morning and I'm like, gee, I fucked up. Mm-hmm. Like Hashling and Slasher is coming. <laughs> some dude that loves knives is walking yeah. into our office today. And six o'clock in the morning, this guy hasn't even had a sip of coffee yet. He's barely has his eyes open. And he goes, okay, give me three minutes and I'll call you back. Calls me back in three minutes. He goes, I'm not worried about anybody hurting me. People are not coming to hurt, of, hurt us. The only thing I'm worried about is our reputation, period. This guy comes in the office and we're all sitting down in a meeting and- Pulls out the biggest knife. <laughs> Gary Gary says the funniest thing ever to disarm the entire situation, which like went along the lines of, I, I bet you love slicing liberals' throats. <laughs> and like, it like, we all erupted and it was hilarious, but he removed all fear from the situation from me, from somebody else. Like, Defused the bomb. Completely. And he's remarkably good at doing that time and time and time and time and time again. So I, I just think, you know, even for the people running around here that are, you know, they might fuck up something and then they're afraid to tell the boss because I scratched something that's going to cost us more money. Right. I'm sure that probably happens a lot. We deal with that a lot. Yeah. yeah. And I, I try to tell people like when they first start working for us, I tell people, people don't get fired for scratching cars. They get fired if we find out later that they scratched it and didn't tell us. That's it. And I think that's huge. And yeah, just putting confidence in people. Letting them know that you're approachable and and you can have a conversation about things. And I find like with my own personal anxiety, if I address it right away, even if with a person, this, it, address the elephant in the room, it immediately alleviates so much of that anxiety. Like, I just want to let you know I'm, I'm going through this thing or I'm feeling a little anxious right now. It helps a lot. I have a question for you too. How do you, you know, like auto body shops, blue collar, like how do you create a culture internally with everybody who works here where they want to they they want to show up every day and they're excited to be here you gotta get down in the trenches with them yeah they gotta know you're one of them yeah you know you're on that level you know what you're talking about and again you want them to feel comfortable you want them to feel like they can come to you they feel safe you know these are all you know things that don't just work in one world they work everywhere and that's like you said common ground that everyone has yeah yeah one of the things that i tried to do a few years into working here was hop in the paint booth so I throw a mask on from time to time and I grab a paint gun and and I'm out there spraying. And I think stuff like that, you know, like everybody's had that that soccer coach, their football coach that tells you run laps and you're like, why don't you get out there and do it? <laughs> and I had a coach once who ran laps with us. And I think that's kind of a good analogy for this. Like like you said, just get in the trenches. Yeah. And that's huge. And then my one thing my dad has always done is, you know, if guys need help, He's there to help. Yeah. Whether it be an emergency surgery that somebody might need, yeah. you know, anonymously, he doesn't, you know, boast about this, but he'll help somebody out. Or, you know, somebody's having car trouble. Yeah, we'll help you out. Bring it in on a Saturday. You know, we'll try to get a starter in or something like that. And I think that stuff really helps too. People don't forget, you know. Right. I just I think it's overlooked a little bit, but 
you know, good deeds people don't forget. And, you know, the biggest one for me is is not to keep count. You guys are selfless people by nature. You want to be helpful. You know, it's a service-based industry, but a lot of people keep count. They're like, well, I did that thing for you, or I picked up the bill for that, or I treated you to that. And for me on the relationship side of things, one of the most impactful things that I've been able to do that's changed my relationship and dynamic with everybody is just, I don't keep count anymore. I make an introduction where you both make money. I don't keep count. I take people out to dinner. I'm, I had a great time. I paid for the bill. I don't keep count. And a, a lot of people, what's stunting them from meeting more people or going deeper in their relationships is they build internally, they build resentment because they're keeping a tally of all of the good mm. deeds they've done for someone over time. And when it's not reciprocated on a timeline that they think is appropriate, they become resentful of that person. Yeah. It's huge in romantic relationships too. Quick little story too. I, I, Went to a doctor friend of mine, walked in for my wife. She had an issue. I had some pain too. He took a look. A few weeks later, gets a nice car, asks me to do some work to it, bring the car in. He calls me and he goes, you know, we didn't talk about price, but you know, after what happened a few weeks ago, I know you're going to take care of me, right? And that just like, I was like, dude, I, I was like, yeah, of course. But you know, it, it's better to to get the that taste in your mouth uh, is it's brutal. It's just, it's so bad. It makes in me, your pocket. Yeah. Oh it makes me not even lies. <laughs> or like when we can't get out, we oh have this joke God. all the time when people are like, you get a guy who comes in, he's like, I'm just trying to get my beak wet, man. I'm trying to yeah. the weasel. Yes. Like, yeah. Get the fuck out of yes. here. It's, it's, you know, it's, and it's, it feels like a foreign concept. Cause when I tell people what I do, they're like, what's in it for you? And I think so many people are so consumed with what's in it for them. And you can't imagine the amount of abundance and the amount of the the amount that's coming your way when you switch from thinking of what's in it for me and how can I create as much as much value for other people without any expectation of anything in return. And people get this twisted a little bit. They think that value is only related to money. Mm -hmm. But like you cannot pay to get in some restaurants. You cannot pay for people actually to be excited when you enter a room. Like there is no amount of money that you can give people, and I mean this, to when you walk in a room, people be genuinely fucking excited that you're there. Right. You could pay everybody, you could put everybody on payroll, but if you are a dick human, they are talking shit about you behind your yep, back. 100%. They're not actually loyal. They don't actually love you. And when you walk in the room, the energetic exchange between those two parties is not the same. Yep. So I just think, you know, for, for me, as I think about like the, the kind of like wealth I've amassed, it, amassed over time, it's, it's not by, it's not a monetary figure. It's when I go to a different city, do I know five people that I could call to say, do you want to grab dinner tonight? And like when I, when I go somewhere where I, and, and I get the ability to learn about somebody else's business, does that make me more equipped for conversations that I have later on down the road? Right. Because I, I want to be the person that people call and say, do you have a guy or a gal for X? I got a guy. It's the best. That's the best. It's the best. 100%. And then to be able to connect those two parties with no expectation of anything coming around in return and not getting your beak wet, it's the best. I get my beak wet. What, what's your end goal? Like, what's your, or not end goal, but what, where, do you, where do you see yourself? Like, where do you want to be? What do you want to do? Like, what's, what's your big, this is what fun. big plans? And I appreciate this question. There's people that have come before me that have that do what I do today. And those people typically end up in roles where they are executive producers at Hollywood Studios, or they're the head of music labels, or they're board members for publicly traded companies. And they sit at the intersection of culture and economic opportunities, and they understand how to bring those people together. So I'll, I'll give an, a very specific example, and there's a few of them. There's a guy named Shep Gordon, who there's a documentary made yeah, about. Yeah, I watched life. it. That was good. I like that it's guy. Great. What was the documentary? Supermensch. Yes, mm. that was really good. It's a great doc, and it it basically paints this picture of this very affable human being that wanders around the earth and giving out joints to Jimi Hendrix, <laughs> and uniquely understands how to set a table and bring people together. Right, and then there's a there's another there's a book written about a guy named Jerry Weintraub. It's called I think it's called You'll Know I'm Dead When I Stop Talking. And he came up in the Hollywood ranks and he, you know, he was the the manager for Frank Sinatra and I think Neil Young and spotted some really early talent and figured out how to 
make everybody money. Mm-hmm. And he was the one that figured out how to get Clooney and Pitt for the remake of Ocean's Eleven. What casino? And there's, I have, I have dozens of these examples of people that I've studied over time. And I've played out my life in sequential order of, okay, I am going to get to a stage in life where the biggest names in sports, business, Hollywood, when they need something, they are going to think to call me. And I played it out on the craziest level. I said, okay, you're going to be at Abu Dhabi F1. You're going to be in that white kind of like silk Mm -hmm. robe. You're going to have a fucking falcon on your arm. (laughs) You're going to be driving a Bugatti 200 miles an hour around hairpin fucking turns Mm. next to the fucking chic of of the whole fucking thing. (laughs) And you're going to be living life at that level. Master the universe. And I don't feel any different than I feel today. All right. I feel zero difference. Interesting. And I think if you continue, if you play out your life in sequential order like that and think about what like the highest level of success, public adoration, accolade, what that looks like, and you you truly think, do I feel any different than I do today? It tells you whether or not that's ultimately what you want. So that's not what I want. And I think I look at my life more so now in these kind of decade-long increments. Mm -hmm. So if I was to completely change what my life looked like, what would it what would it look like? And not just for the sake of changing it, but if I was to pursue things that I'm genuinely interested in and I see a future in. So for me, quite frankly, I I've always known this about myself. I love people coming to me when they need a real change of surrounding and scenery. Okay. So I moved down to Miami And now people come and they spend a weekend with me when they got to get away from New York City or they got to get away from LA. And I think if you, if we, if we catch up in five years from today, I have a farm in Hawaii on like five to 10 acres. Like the Supermansion. (laughs) Yeah, man. I think, I think people are calling me because they need to get away from everything that their world currently represents. And I think I'm writing on a regular basis. Rehab for the soul. Yeah, man. And I think I'm doing that for an extended period of time. And I'm having a family and I'm, you know, like I'm growing the food that I fucking eat every day. Awesome. And then I'm figuring out what comes after that, after I go through that 10-year process. But the reason I say that is because we get caught in these professional cycles where you're just chasing the next big thing. You go from, how can I go from the nosebleeds to the 50 yard line to how can I be on the fucking field to how can I sing the national anthem and like how, and then how can I own the team? And that, that chase is healthy. If it's truly what you want, Gary truly wants to own the New York jets. He loves the journey of trying to own the New York jets. And I think my journey is very different in the sense of I've, I'm probably going to change it up pretty significantly. You got to love the journey. Yeah. One question and, and story, if you feel comfortable sharing it, that I wanted to talk to you about. Recently, you had a, a medical scare. Yeah. And you got to meet some pretty interesting people through that. Yeah. Can you walk us through what happened? Yeah. I I also want to, right after this, can I ask you a question first? Yeah, absolutely. For you two, what's, you know, like not the end goal, right? But like, what's what's the evolution of of this? What's your answer? I love what I do. I want to do this for as long as I could possibly do it. I think like I see my dad and I don't really think he ever wants to stop because he has that passion for it. I think every single Sunday, like I remember like right after college, like we'd be whatever on a beach or on a boat or wherever I am with all my boys and we're heading back and the sun is setting and everyone's got their (laughs) hair over their eyes. I'm like, I cannot believe I have to go to work. And I've never once had a Sunday like that. I've never ended a day where I'm like, I have to get out of this place. And I want that to be the way I feel for as long as possible because I love every day of what I do and everyone that I do it with. But I'd like it to get bigger and just kind of encompass everything that we do. I'd like us to be the one-stop shop. I don't want to call anyone for anything. I want to just have it all in-house. And I just, you know, want everything coming at me all day, like the chaos. I like, you know, just hitting it all day as hard as I can. So that's kind of what I want. I just, I want to make it as big as we can. I want to be able to pull from ourselves for as much as we can. What's your... Fuck yeah. 
Yeah, that's a really. Good I love one. what I do, man. I just want to make it as you much feel of what it. I do as I can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think for me that the like the more existential answer is. I think you, we have a similar thread here. I find passion through my relationships with people, and the shop allows me to meet some really awesome people. And one of the things that we were talking about before we recorded is burnout. And I'm lucky enough to work in my passion. Mm. I'm super passionate about cars, but. Like just because you like to cook doesn't mean you're going to want to be a chef, right? Is the old saying. And so I think whatever I can do and this podcast and and jumping into trying to emulate a, a media company, I've been able to meet some amazing people like yourself. And and I feel this way about travel. I feel this way about relationships. Anytime I get the opportunity to meet somebody and hear their perspective on something, it just expands my my you know, perspective on things and, and allows me to learn and, and be a better person at the shop. And with this, I, I really want to provide value to people. I think I love what I do, not as much as you do, but <laughs> I love what I do. And I want people to, to watch our videos or hear our podcast and get like a, you know, a, a salt pinch yep. of that feeling. So whatever I can do to get this out to as many people as possible is what I'd like to do. So in the short term, I'm really focused on trying to get the coolest people in that seat because I want to connect through that passion. You have passion for things. I have passion for things. And that's going to be the common thread that keeps us connected and, and starts and builds a relationship. I mean, much like food, I think cars are a big time unifier. And people's love for cars are a big time unifier. I think I said it to you before. <laughs> He's got nothing in there. <laughs> cars are like a almost like a living, breathing organism. You know, like I just I, I was I was with a a crew, and I I'll introduce him when he comes into the city next time. But shout out to my friend Josh Weissman. He he's amazing. And I went on a Sunday cruise in Austin with him and his buddies, and they're all from different walks and talks of life. They've all had a level of success that's pretty ridiculous. And they're all unified by cars. Like they were, he was at a gas station that he met the one guy. Then he was like, I don't know anybody from around here. Do you know anybody that also likes fucking McLarens? Great. <laughs> like, and now they've got these like six guys and they roll around on the weekends and they're from like age 65 to Josh's like late 20s. Mm-hmm. And they're all unified by this passion for cars and automobiles. And it's fucking awesome to watch. And I think. That's where people get a little bit tripped up again in, in terms of wanting you to be a finished sentence. They're like, those are the body shop guys. Like, you know, like what? And then all of a sudden we start having a conversation like this and all of the other things open up. It's just- Find out that I love big clamps. There we go. I love, oh my God. That's Casino, it. Baby. Brothers for life. You know, actually, we've got, we have a restaurant called Little Maven, I think on 18th and 6th, some of the best big clams you'll have. Okay. We got to check it out. We will I do see dinner. you there. We will do Absolutely. dinner. I see you there. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I did have a health scare about a year ago today. I did a full body MRI scan. I'm somebody who likes to know what's going on. I like to be preventative in nature. Completely unprovoked. I was just like, this is cool technology. I'm interested to see what the heck's going on. So I get a full body scan, every organ, your bone, skeletal structure, everything. And it takes 10 days to come back. Right after the holidays, I get the results. And it reveals that there's four small, what they called, not nodes, but- um, Legions? Legions, bingo. Four small legions on my cerebellum, and then a few more on my fourth ventricle in my brain. And I got a phone call from a doctor that said, hey, not to alarm you, but what I'm seeing on your scans isn't supposed to be there. And the way that we look at this is it's cancer until it's not. So I get a phone call from a doctor randomly at home telling me that there's a high likely there's a high probability that I have I have brain cancer. Jesus. And in that moment you kind of like, you know, everything everything strips away. Nothing matters, right? Like next meeting, fuck it. Like, you know, every every other every <laughs> other thing that was consuming my life just completely and I and I remember falling on the floor and just kind of being super alone. My girl was out of town traveling and I kind of just like soaked it all in. And interestingly enough, like before I went into solutions mode, I was just like, I have to sit with myself for a little bit. And I, I got my car and like windows down and it was sunset in Miami. And I drove along the water and over a couple of bridges listening to music and just like 
air flowing through the fucking windows, like sun setting over the Biscayne Bay. And I was like, this is fucking beautiful. Nothing's better. This is unreal. Got the right music going. Dude, it was, I mean, it was very sad music. I think I was bawling, crying, but <laughs> <laughs> it's like fucking Coldplay or something, you know? Dog. <laughs> My Snoop Dog. That's it. Playlist. That's it. That's it. And, and, you know, I think what it's taught me is that all of the luxuries in life that we're working for, we already have them today. Yeah. They're already here. What difference does it make? None of it. It makes no difference. Zero. And you know, after that kind of like not even 24 hour period, I started to think, okay, like now I've got to address this. How do I address this? And the way that my brain works is I just, I went, okay, who's, who's the best doctor? Like everybody else, who's the best doctor I can get to tomorrow. And I was able to get a recommendation for the, for literally the best neurosurgeon in all of Miami. Mm -hmm. And the only mutual connection that I had to him was through Deepak Chopra. And who's that? Deepak Chopra is besides the guy with the world's best name. (laughs) Your what he means to spirituality to like our parents' generation and our generation is on par with like the Pope. Wow. Yeah. Meaning in terms of like a public facing persona, in terms of what his message on spirituality means to people, it's it's on that level. Yeah. Probably Um, gotta have to talk to and explain this to. Pretty incredible. In that time, yeah. So I was lucky enough to have spent some time with Deepak, actually like four consecutive hours one day, pretty much just him and I, just serendipity. He was waiting to go do something. I was kind of his handler in that time and just got to be attentive and you know, kind of take care of him in a way. And luckily his, his business partner and I cultivated a relationship and in my moment of really needing something, I was able to reach out to him and I was able to say, hey, I don't know if there's anything you can do, but I'm, I'd really like to go see this doctor. And within 24 hours, I, I had an appointment and I walked into that doctor's office. And one of the most impactful messages that has ever been delivered to me, and I recognize the power of doctors well beyond just their scholastic and scholarly kind of education, is he looked at me dead in the eyes with the utmost confidence and he said, it's nothing. Go home. Wow. It's wow. exactly what I want to hear every time I go to a doctor. Wow. And and I think that there's actually a lot of merit to that. He was like, listen, we're going to send you for a second set of scans to get something very specific done. But you're young, you're healthy, you're a good person. There's nothing wrong with you. Go You're friends with Deepak Chopra. <laughs> what did that feel like? What, do you remember that feeling as soon as like after 48 hours of just panic? What did it feel like to get that news? Well, I think we all have somebody in our family or somebody in our circle that when something bad happens to them, they immediately resort to the worst. Meaning something bad happens to them and they immediately go into the cycle of, of course it would happen to me. Bad things happen to me. This is the end. It's all over from here. (laughs) And we can all, we all know who those people are and they're, they're abundant in our life, you know, that and what it did for me was it gave me permission because he was somebody that I respected and had authority to say, there's nothing wrong with me. I'm going to be fine. It gave me permission to do that. Right. And I, and I, you know, I like a degree of skepticism still because I, I felt myself being like, but there could be something wrong, right? Almost like self-sabotaging, like, but come on, like we've got to. And I realized the power, I realized the power in that moment of being like, not, imagine what you can do to your own kind of like your your body by just saying, there's nothing wrong with me. I'm fine. Go home. Yeah. You create a lot of problems doing the opposite. Correct. Yeah. Some stress yourself sick. A some lot. People, yeah, I was going to say, stress. some people think that you could stress yourself into cancer. A lot more of an emotional toll. It's something, it's a tool that I've used for a lot of people when I get a phone call now about something. And I don't say it as in a way of dismissing the feelings they might have attached to that thing. But I, you know, Gary did this to me as well. We met, I talked to him the same day that I got the phone call. He, I saw him that that following weekend and he sat me down, very busy space. We were like out at a very public function and event. And he sat me down for like 10 minutes and worked me through it. And he looked at me and he said, you need to make the, you need to make the mental switch right now and tell yourself that 
it's it's nothing mm. and you're going to be okay. And I just, you know, I, I go for another scan in a few weeks from now and I've made that mental switch that it's it's nothing and I'm going to be okay. And That's of huge. course you make very, con- you can't, you can't say I'm I'm fine. It's going to be okay, and then smoke, drink, you know, eat cheeseburgers every day, and expect everything to be okay. But I've done everything in my power to make sure that that's the case. So honestly, you know, for anybody that's gone through maybe a car accident or a near death experience, or has delivered has been delivered a message from a doctor or a medical professional that wasn't favorable, it does it gives you a tremendous moment of clarity in terms of what matters and what doesn't matter. And sometimes we allow that moment to dissipate too quickly. We don't sit with it long enough to realize what a gift it it actually is. Right. But when you allow yourself to kind of sit with it and realize how trivial most of the things that we do are, it puts a lot into perspective and it helps you recalibrate in a meaningful way. Yeah, that's huge. It's huge yeah. for people to understand. I just wish it didn't take a cancer scare for us to deal with things like that and appreciate the things that are probably most important. Sometimes we need it to be that, That's you know, true. sometimes we, we need to be shook that hard. Yeah. But yeah. What's your favorite car? I knew I was going to fucking ask this question. <laughs> Shit. Did. You know, I don't know any cars. <laughs> <laughs> my, my name. Yeah. <laughs> Growing up, my mom had a, a Chevy Lumina. Uh-huh. I've never heard of that. It's a <laughs> shitty car, man. And after that, she had a Ford Escort. But, that's like that we weren't we weren't raised with much money we didn't you know we didn't have nice cars and i remember the feeling of being in the front seat before they made kids sit in the back seat <laughs> and my feet like dangling off of the carpet like not being able to touch the ground in the front seat and i would press my head to the glass as she was driving and i would be able to tell you almost like i with probably like a 95% accuracy what any car was just by the taillights alone. Wow. Like very, like really, really sharp. Anything from like 1996 to like probably like 2003. That's awesome. Just by taillights alone. And I remember my dad when he got a Pontiac Grand Am. Okay. This is like a 2002 Pontiac Grand Am. And I remember the feeling because it was my dad. What year? 2002? Yeah. What color was that? It was like a charcoal, like almost like purpley. Those are pretty sporty. Those are cool. Char- they were. Right? Yeah, those, and are, here's, those are dope. Here's the, big, here's the big aha moment for me, which I watched on display for the first time, was my dad went from like very, very blue collar work, like fixing printers to selling printers to working for IBM to being a vice president of IBM. To Wow. He's he's the model in our family. He showed He showed me what's possible with conviction, pursuit, ambition, and hard work. And when he bought that Pontiac Grand Am, I I remember him walking up the stairs to his brother's house in Cheltenham, Philadelphia, and everybody being like, oh, holy shit, that's a cool car. <laughs> and I remember him flipping the keys to his older brother at the time. Savage move. Like, go take it for a spin around the Love block. Love that. And I just remember the feeling of how cool that was. And the way it made people feel. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why I have an incredible appreciation for cars because of the emotional connection people people have to them. But I, I haven't I, I don't have necessarily a favorite car. Okay. Who had the coolest car in high school? And what was it? <sighs> coolest car my buddy Donnie Miller had an H two Hummer. Yes. That's pretty ridiculous. If you're that's in high savage school, for high school. It was jacked up too. It was like and you know, we would like we would we would sneak out of school to yellow. go like get lunch, and uh, uh, it might have been fucking yellow. Yeah, it's got. It might have been fucking yeah. yellow. That's the flagship color, Spoop Steve. And I mean, it was a it was a badass truck, and we would like we would sneak out of school to go get lunch, and I was like, you know, a fifteen year old kid, and I was like, this is the fucking coolest. This Love is that. the tits. Yeah, 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 it was amazing. What uh, what do you tell sixteen year old Nick? What's a what's a piece of advice you would tell him? Two things: dream a lot bigger. I just think for for anybody listening, for anybody that is on the way up, you don't realize how fast you'll catch your goals when you're young. You're just like, holy shit, I can't believe I'm in this meeting or in this point in my life. Just dream a lot fucking bigger. It's just, it's all in front of you. And if you're willing to 
of course, work hard and be dedicated to something and just dream a whole, whole lot bigger. And then the second part is things work out even when they don't. Yeah. I just think that every twist and turn in your life and your career is meant to be part of your journey and part of your trajectory. And you might architect that, you know, you think you're going to go down this path, but if you're open to the fact that life's going to take you in a bunch of different directions and they were all meant for you on your journey and not for any other reason, you can't imagine how fruitful and how rich that, that human experience can be. That's huge. Yeah. Now, one of my last questions for you is being the expert in growth, social media and things like that for us or for people in our position, how would you, what would be the next steps that you, if you were us, if you were in our position, what would you do? How would you, how would you frame growth? How would you frame goals? What's some, what's some advice you can lend us? Yeah, I think there's a lot of cliche things that we could say about social media growth. We could be like, all right, well, each, there's got to be a great three second hook to every one of your videos, or let's try to infuse as much celebrity talent as we possibly can. Or, and I think all of that is situationally appropriate and, and could make sense. But I think the most important thing for y'all is you guys are sitting on such an insane wealth of knowledge when it comes to this stuff that you forgot more than most people know. Mm. And all of the things that seem mundane and seem unimpressive to you are holy shit moments yeah. for everyone else watching. And like, of course, it's the new shiny thing that enters the shop that you think people are going to care about, but it's actually like, this is how paint actually fucking comes out of a gun. Mm -hmm. And like that stuff is going to blow people's minds and lead to growth that you could have never predicted or forecasted and be one one hundredth of the actual effort than it would take to get Mickey Rourke down here. <laughs> To do a Q and A session, so yeah. <laughs> it's a blow, Dad's break. That's my. That's my. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Yeah. That's great. Anything else? Yeah, I mean, for for you guys, when you, and I mean this, like, how can how can I be helpful? And for the people that are listening and watching, because you guys do this, like, you're not getting, you don't get paid for this. This doesn't, mm -hmm. you know, it doesn't immediately equate to ad dollars that you guys are seeing. How can I and how can other people be helpful as you guys are? building out this media empire? It's a good question. I'd have to really put some thought into that. I've, I've been focusing so much on how can I, yeah. how can he, how can our, our our guy here help us that I haven't really thought about tagging on other people. Yeah. I think that's an important thing to, to ask. It's always okay to ask for help. You know, it's, I have like four very interesting people that are really into cars that I think follow you and you might not even know because mm -hmm. you're just so in the weeds of it every day. So I'd love to. Yeah, it'd be great. Yeah. Yeah, we'd love like to take those people on. And and then the second part of it, which I think is important, is I know the car community is a full of a bunch of really incredible people that also are know-it-alls. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. And what I see you guys putting out into the world is overwhelmingly positive, optimistic, playful, educational and is not kind of like know-it-all behavior. And if I was going to ask of anything from the community and the audience, it would simply be to mirror the way in which you engage with people to other people. That's a good one. That's really nice. Because, and I mean this, what I see from Gary all the time is like, you know, a lot of people are skeptical about the message he's putting out into the world, but it's at a place now where he not only responds to those people with a bit of optimism or humility, but so do 15 other people. Right. So he doesn't have to fight those battles anymore. And right. I, I just think in a, in a world where there's probably a lot of ways, especially as we lead up to an election cycle, there's, there's a lot of tension that already exists online. If there's a world in which, and I know this is just the nature of the internet, so I don't want to sound too utopic when I talk about it like this or altruistic. Like if the people that really, really appreciate what you, what you guys are putting out into the world could just mirror that a little bit more to maybe some of the haters, the skeptics and the trolls. That's huge. Yeah. So I want you to take some time, plug and promote what you have going on. Uh, where can people find you? Yeah. What's something you want to talk about this charity thing, this 15 year goal that you, you, uh, you have going on? Yeah. I mean, the most, the most important thing to me is quite literally making Gary Vaynerchuk, the most relevant, accessible 
relatable public figure in our country. I got a good podcast you can come on if you want. I got, <laughs> how many episodes are we at? This is eight, nine. Oh, this is a wow. big episode. He's a big 55 episode guy. All right. So five is his favorite number, maybe episode 55. All right. We got a goal. And by the way, most podcasts don't get past episode. I think it's 21. Like 90% really? of podcasts fail before episode 21. So just push push past on. 21. Yeah. Become a like become that. an adult. And you know that honestly, that's the most important thing to me. A lot of people are like, how can you be so deeply in service of another person? And I think for me, it's important to realize that your dreams and ambitions can fit as many or as little people as you want to inside of them. So how many people work currently at JMB? 65, 67, something like that. It's insane. 65 people's dreams and ambitions fit within the dreams and ambitions that you Hopefully. have. And that's what if you're trying to right. architect. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think Gary's got 2000 employees globally, 14 offices, and like, all of our dreams and ambitions fit within that. And some people's dreams and ambitions are security, a a, a consistent paycheck, mm -hmm. benefits. Some people's ambitions are to break out and to become a public figure of their own. Some people's ambitions are to change divisions within the company. And I, I just, he's such a remarkable human being having sat next to him for 10 years that the message he puts into the world is not one of, how do I acquire more wealth or how do I sell a company for a billion dollars? But how do I practice humility in all situations? How can I be more compassionate to the people that I engage with every day? Which is just not a message that you're hearing from people that run a $300 million a year business. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, I think that's it. His, his handles is, are Gary V, G-A-R-Y-V-E-E. -E. And if I can ever be helpful to anybody listening in any capacity, my handle across everything is Nick Dio, N-I-C-K-D-I-O. Huge. Yep. Is that your full last name? Last name is Diodato. But Irish name. Yeah, I was going to ask if you're Italian, but that <laughs> answered my question. <laughs> it's actually translated into God-given. So Dio means God. I like that a lot. Dado means given. I didn't learn that until I was in Italy. I was signing in for a restaurant, giving them my name for a reservation. And then Mater D like looked at me and he was like, do you know what your last name means? And I was like, I actually don't. And he told me, God given, like Dio means God, Dado means given. And I remember calling my dad from Italy and being like, yo, pops, you're never going to guess what our last name means. And he was like, of course I do. You <laughs> I just, never, that's amazing. I never told you. How do you not know? Moron. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't want your head to get big. That's great. And I wanted to keep you humble for as long as I you could. Found it on your own. And now the you're most like remarkable place. Yeah, we are the yeah. chosen family. We are the chosen. <laughs> and then I also learned control. <laughs> it's like it's like Smith in Italy. You know, like right, right, like right. <laughs> I love that. This was awesome, guys. Yeah, thank you thank so much you. for having. Yeah, me. follow us at JB Bodyworks on all socials. This is at Who Is Joey Is Joe Is Joe. Excuse me. This is who Is Mikey Is? Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much. And video card set up. It's not. We're slacking. That's all right. Follow us <laughs> the next one, guys. Next Thank time. you so much. Train. Uh, Start training. I love it. Very cool. cool. Thank you, awesome, man. Guys.